Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, welcome to Coastal. Like PC said, I'm Pastor Ryan. Uh, today we are back in Romans chapter 8 uh, as a part of our Revolution of Faith series where we just dive into basically the entire book of Romans. And uh, it's been an awesome PC the last couple weeks has taken us through uh, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Uh, so today we're going to be in verses 18 through 30. Uh, if you have your Bible, your app, your notes, whatever it is, you can go ahead uh, and pull those out, turn to that. Um, but we've kind of already established how uh, the book of Romans is perhaps the most you know, famous book of the Bible, and that uh, chapter 8, which you notice we kind of saved for Easter, so we've been going through the entire book of Romans you know, basically over a year plus. We saved Romans 8 for Easter because it's such an important chapter of the book. And now today we actually get to uh, read through a passage and a verse that's uh, one of the most famous verses in Romans, if not the entire Bible. Uh, you probably know, but it's Romans 8.28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, now, I'm sure you've all heard this verse within some context of your everyday life. You know, maybe uh, some of you heard it in Sunday school when you were younger, or uh, maybe you heard it when someone was trying to comfort you in a, in a bad time of your life. Uh, some of you really churchy people, you got it on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Uh, we know who you are. It's Okay. But, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's, you hear it a lot. Uh, again, it's one of the most uh, famous verses. And um, I think one of the problems is, though, you know, if we're honest, some of the times that we hear this verse, uh, it just kind of rings a little hollow. Right? Like me, I'm sure there's been times, you've had times in your life where you just can't see a, a good way out of whatever situation you're dealing with, uh, let alone it working out better uh, than you were before. And honestly, I feel like a lot of church people are kind of, you know, notorious for this. I feel like I can't tell you how many times I've seen, you know, someone come in to, to, to join a church or whatever it is, and their life's just kind of, you know, falling apart. Uh, their marriage is failing. Uh, their kids are struggling. A parent or loved one is sick. Um, you know, they're in over their head and dead, or they just got let go of their job, from their job, right? And they go to a, a life group or just get around some, some church people, and, you know, they just quote like that exact verse to them. They just say, you know, and and, and we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And now while that verse is 100% true, like in, in every aspect, right, these people are, are struggling and they're, they're hurting and they're just looking to, you know, to get out of their situation. Right? They're not seeing any kind of uh, silver lining. No way that these circumstances are gonna work out for their good. And honestly, this just kind of preaching this towards them, you know, it turns them away from the hope and the good news that they really need to hear. You know, suffering is the, is the number one reason that people stop having faith in God, right? It's the, it's the number one reason why people turn away from church and um, from religion, right? It's the never-ending debate of, of why God allows suffering, right? What is the, you know, the reason, the point in purposeless suffering? And many times, uh, this lack of understanding stems from uh, maybe some false beliefs or, or false understandings that a lot of people have when it comes to uh, God or faith uh, or just a Christian life in general. And so luckily for us, the passage that we're in today in Romans 8, it kind of helps us out, right? It does a good job of addressing some of the myths or false beliefs that I feel like, you know, a lot of people have when it comes to God and Christianity and their faith. 
And so real quick, I want to give you three myths that Romans 8, uh, specifically our verses 18 through 30, kind of debunks. Right? So first one, myth, myth number one is that if we live well, we can avoid most suffering. If we live well, we can avoid suffering. I think if you ask a good number of Christians, many of them would say that, you know, if, if they just live like they're supposed to, right, just live like they're supposed to, that they can avoid or at least minimize most of the suffering in their life. Right? And unfortunately, that's just not the case. Right? Paul, Paul clearly describes how uh, suffering is a part of the believer's journey. Right? If you read through our passage in verse 18, he talks about our present sufferings. In verse 23 of the passage, it talks about how we groan inwardly, right? groaning inwardly from suffering. Verse 21 says, all creation is in bondage to decay. Right? It's all suffering. And there's nothing in this passage that assumes that if you are a child of God, that you can avoid these realities. Right? Jesus even said it specifically. He told his disciples that, you know, you will have tribulations. And in fact, you're probably going to have more because Satan is gunning for you specifically. Right? And, and, and so with this myth, there's even kind of a related myth that kind of falls along with it. And it's that, you know, that life or uh, the universe is just fated to be good. Right? Just naturally, you trust in the universe. Everything is going to be okay. But this passage, Paul writes the opposite narrative. Right? He says that it's only through God's special intervention, like, like a special act of grace by God that causes anything to turn out for good. And that's honestly where our main verse, uh, verse 28, uh, it can kind of be taken out of context a lot. Right? Some translation, translations read as in like, all things work for the good of those who love God. Uh, luckily, our translation in the NIV that we're reading from here today uh, does us a favor. It clearly states it. It says, God works for the good of those who love him, right? So it's only through God that the good comes. So that's myth number one, that we can avoid uh, suffering by living well. Myth number two is that suffering is a result of sin in our lives. Myth number two is that suffering is always the result of sin in our lives. And the idea is that God is always trying to get your attention through suffering. Right? There's some area of your life that he wants you to notice and, and take care of, some error within you that he wants to correct. And now sometimes, unfortunately, again, this is true. Like affliction is one of the tools that God can use to wake you up. Plenty of examples of it in the Bible. I mean, just the red comes to mind is Jonah and the whale, you know, Jonah being put into the, the belly of a whale when he's running away. Right? Sometimes God will just put you flat on your back. But the point here is that that's not always the case. Suffering is not always an indication of sin, right? In, the, in this passage that we're talking about specifically, there's no indication that, that suffering is happening because something else is happening, right? And I mean, we think about in the book of Job, uh, if you're familiar with the story of Job, he's one of the most righteous men alive at the time, but the, his whole story is one of, of constant suffering. So if he's the most righteous man at the time, but he's going through the most suffering at the same time. How does that make sense? Even if you think about Jesus, again, the most righteous man that ever lived, yet he still suffered the most. How does that make sense? Right, you know, if you think about it, like God's not gonna do that to you. He's not gonna, you know, just leave it up to, to you guessing what the sin is that needs to be corrected, or corrected and that, you know, this suffering is a result of this sin. He's not going to do that. It's, it's kind of like if I were to take my, my four-year-old 
daughter Ellie, and she's just playing, and I just pick her up, and I carry her to a chair, and I put her in timeout and say, you're in timeout. She says, Daddy, why am I in timeout? And I say, you figure it out. Right, that's, that's not gonna work out well. No, you have to, you know, you say you're in timeout because of this, this happened because of this. Right, God's not gonna, not gonna play around with that. He's not gonna mess with us like that. He will let you know if there is something in your life that needs to change. So that's myth number two, that suffering is a result of sin. Myth, myth number three is that we'll always be able to find the silver linings in our terrible situations. It's a myth that we will always be able to find the good, the silver linings in our bad situations. Sometimes there can be good, right? You think about, I mean, a car accident can can wake up the alcoholic. The breakup can can open you up to a better relationship. A painful chapter of our lives can prepare us for something uh, to come later on. There can be a time where it's a good learning opportunity, whatever the bad situation is, whatever the circumstances that were, are unfavorable favorable to us. It can be a, a, a learning curve, a learning point. And it kind of makes me think of um, like the Karate Kid, the movie The Karate Kid, and uh, you know, really the whole franchise is, I feel like, kind of built around this same principle, um, which, by the way, to me, The Karate Kid's one of the most confusing movie franchises, like the first two movies with Dana LaRusso and and then you got Mr. Miyagi and this girl, and then you all of a sudden jump to Jackie Chan and, and Jaden Smith. It just seems like a weird timeline. But um, if you think about, again, the original Karate Kid movie, Daniel LaRusso is this kid who moves from New Jersey to, um, to California, goes to new schools, getting bullied by these kids who know karate. So he thinks he needs to go learn karate, he finds Mr. Miyagi, and basically Mr. Miyagi needs like a couple months to teach him to be a black belt. Um, so he takes him to this place, and he has him do what? paint the fence and, and wax a car and, and do something with the floors and, I mean, all this stuff. And finally, Daniel gets to a point where he's like, you know, this is it. I'm, I'm over this. I'm basically just being your handyman. And that's where he basically gets to have that Mr. Miyagi moment, right, where he says, show me paint the fence, show me wax on, wax off. And he does all these moves, and now he has muscle memory for these cool blocks that are going to help him win, you know, a karate tournament. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times our life is going to be, you know, a lot like that. We're not always going to, you know, see how we're being prepared for something. You know, Paul points to a glory that is to come in our life. In, in verse 18, he talks about how it will, it will be revealed. Right? Oftentimes, it's in eternity. It's not today. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's in eternity. In verse 25, he talks about us waiting patiently for it. You know, in verse 24, he specifically says, you know, we're saved in hope, but it's a hope that isn't seen Right, who hopes for what they already have? You know, a lot of us, you know, we say that we want to, to live by faith, but the moment that we can't see what God is doing, you know, we throw up our hands and we say, God, are you even really here? Right, are you actually helping me? Right, we want to live by faith, but we also want to be able to uh, understand every detail and intricacy of every bad thing that happens in our life. We want to know why this is happening and, and what it's going to produce. But Paul says that it's waiting patiently until the end. That's what it's about, to experience the resolution we want. Right? It's not declaring a verdict over your life until you get to experience the glory of resolution and eternity in Christ. There's another story that I, I heard that I thought was good for this idea. It's about a, um, a bird. You may have heard the story, but it's a bird who uh, got a late start flying south for the winter. 
right? And due to his late start, it was already cold. And as he started to fly, his wings froze up, got ice on him, and he crash landed, right? So he's sitting there and he's uh, all upset. And he says, you know, it's too cold to fly. I got such a late start. My, my wings are icy. I can't fly. I'm going to die right here, right here in this field. And so he's sitting there. And next thing you know, a cow walks up and a cow stands next to him for a minute. And then the cow just dumps a big old pile of manure right on his head. Right? And if you know cows at all, you know there's no discretion whatsoever to the location in which they're willing to drop a load. So the bird's head probably looked like a good spot. And so the bird just goes from bad to worse. You know, not only am I going to die, but I'm going to die smelling like manure. But then he realizes the manure is warm, right? And it's stalling out his wings. And he realizes that he can start to fly. He can start to flap his wings. So he's so happy. You know, he hops up and he starts chirping and flapping. And that draws the attention of a cat nearby. And the cat comes over and eats him. Right? And so that teaches us three things about how God can work in our lives. Number one is not everyone who drops manure on your head is an enemy. Number two is not everyone who digs you out is your friend. And then number three, sometimes when you're in manure, it's best to just be quiet and wait till the end of the story. Right? Sometimes when we're in the middle of a situation, it's like Paul says in verse 25, we just have to wait patiently for God to resolve it. Sometimes it's not till the very end and we're gonna have to wait for a really long time. It's kind of like every binge-worthy TV show now or a really good book that's out. Right? Nothing ever resolves in, in you know, one or two episodes or one or two chapters. We have to wait until the very end for everything to click into place. Right, so what Paul is saying that sometimes, again, our lives are like that. We want this, this great grand resolution to every episode or chapter in our lives. Right, but some things are, again, they're on the long arc where it's not gonna be resolved until much, much later. And it's tough, but it's true. And so those are kind of three myths that our, our verses here in Romans 8 help us to address. And if you saw the title of this message, it's, it's myth versus hope. So what hope is, is Romans 8 giving us? Right, what hope is there that's gonna help us to endure the suffering that we face? Right, we jump right into it in verses 28 and 29. Again, we just read it, but it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right, many times we stop there and we don't actually go to verse 29. But 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So hope number one is that God is using all things to make me more like Jesus. God is using everything to make you more like Jesus. Again, the end of verse 28, God works for all who are according to his purpose. And so what's his purpose? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined or purposed to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. Right, the purpose is to make you more like Jesus. So all the things that you go through, all the circumstances that you again find unfavorable, all the situations that you'd rather not be in, all those are working for your good. And it tells us that, but again, this good is not just like, you know, making your life good, making your life easier. Right? It's about making you a better you, a you that is better because you are more like Jesus. Right? And there will come a time, there will come a time in all of our lives when, you know, when we have submitted to God that we will be able to see you know, all these things kind of come together to, to form us in this image that is being talked about. 
And so what this means, this is, this is super important, what this means is when we're in these situations, in these bad situations, you know, that are, that are just weighing down on us and we're praying to God, God, just help me get out of it, right? Just get me out of this situation. We should also be praying and asking God what we can get out of it, right? Not only to get you out of it, but what you can get out of it. The purpose is, again, you know, that we're in these situations in order to be more like Jesus, we should be praying what we can get out of it then. Again, so, you know, when you're in those situations, there's nothing wrong with asking God, saying, you know, God, help me get out of, out of this situation. Help my relationship here. Help me with my parenting. Help me with this financial situation. But, you know, if the purpose in all of this is to make me more like Jesus, then yes, how can I get out of it? But also, what can I get out of it? That really goes a long way in changing our perspective and allowing us to become more like Christ. Because at some point, again, you know, from now to eternity, we're gonna have that Mr. Miyagi moment where we get to understand, right? But until then, it's just gonna feel like chaos, right? It's gonna feel like utter chaos. And um, it's, it's kind of like I was thinking one of those uh, artists, you've probably seen it on like the 10,000 different uh, talent shows on network cable, basically. But it's like they're painting the picture and it looks ridiculous, looks like nothing. There's just specks of paint thrown everywhere, right? Like brush strokes and all different colors jumbled together, I remember watching it the first time being like, dang, I should, I should sign Emmy, my, my 18-month-old, up for this. Like, she can do the exact same thing. And they get to the end and they just kind of stand there and it makes no sense, but then what do they do? They flip the painting over, right? And all of a sudden, it's this amazing masterpiece. Unfortunately, that's where my theory that Emmy is a master artist falls apart. So I flip hers over and it's still nothing. But our lives are gonna be like that painting, Right, for the most part, it's going to make absolutely no sense whatsoever. But at some point, like somewhere down the line, right, our life is going to be flipped over. God's going to flip it over. And like Paul is saying, you know, we're going to be more like Jesus than we ever thought possible. So that's hope number one. God's using all things to make me more like Jesus. Hope number two is that my story is going to end with my body's redemption. The ending of my story is going to result in the redemption of my body. In verses 22 and 23, Paul says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we uh, eagerly wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, right off the bat, just want to say I have never experienced childbirth. I never will. I would never compare anything to childbirth, right? And I'm only 30. I'm sure you, some of you have dealt with pains for a lot longer, uh, but my body is definitely groaning already. Right? Every morning when I get out of bed, every time I get up from a chair, uh, every time that I have to get up in the middle of the night to go to my daughter's room for any reason, you know, she's cold or she had a bad dream. Um, three nights ago, I, so when I was writing this message, I was thinking of examples here. No lie, this has happened twice in the last couple of nights. Three nights ago was that she wanted strawberries at 3 a.m., right? She wanted me to go get her some strawberries, so we had to talk that out. Last night it happened. She was dead asleep, woke up. I went in there. She was still, you know, where they're still kind of asleep, like just like loosey-goosey, and she wanted me to turn her TV on and turn like Aladdin on, but she was still asleep. It was the weirdest thing. So again, when I have to go from asleep to up and walking that fast, the 10 seconds of involuntary noises that come out of my mouth are absolutely undescribable, right? 
Your body's just groaning. So redemption of a body is a big hope, right? Paul's given hope. One day our body is going to be redeemed. He's saying one day our body is going to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And it's a body that's not going to hurt. It's a body that's not going to get sick. Right? Paul's saying that's what we have to hope for. And, and that's what it's going to be redeemed. And, you know, it's not even just our bodies. Right? He's saying all nature, all creation is going to be redeemed. And to be honest, like, I don't exactly know what that looks like. Right? But the Bible tells us again, the whole world fell into sin. Every little thing has fallen into sin, into separation from God. But he's saying one day it's all going to be redeemed. Again, in verse 18, Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Right? The glory of being redeemed doesn't even compare to the groaning and, and the stuff that we're going through right now. That's a big time hope. It's a hope of glory that, that in all honesty, we just can't really comprehend in this moment. So that's hope number two, that my story's gonna end in my body's redemption. Hope number three, it says, in our life, the Spirit intercedes us. In our life, the Spirit intercedes for us. And, and you can go ahead and write this down. In our life, the Spirit prays for us as well. You can just write praise next to intercedes or above it or whatever it is. Verses 26 and 27 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, right? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. All right, so what does this mean? Remember, we just talked about our bodies groaning. And now Paul is saying that the Spirit intercedes through wordless groaning, Right, that translate as uh, the Spirit unites to us so that when we hurt, he hurts. Right, what we feel, he feels. The pain that we're going through, he goes through alongside us. If you remember the story of uh, Jesus showing up at the, graves, the grave of Lazarus, right? Mary and Martha are there, they're besides himself with grief. And in this story, we find the shortest verse of the Bible. You, you might know it, it's John eleven thirty five. 35. It says, Jesus wept. And it's interesting if you know the end of the story because, you know, Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew that when if, um, within a matter of minutes, if not seconds, that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew death wasn't permanent. And so why would he weep? Right? Why would Jesus cry alongside the others, knowing the joy that was going to overwhelm them all in just a matter of seconds? It's simple, really. Right? Jesus wept because Mary and Martha wept. And this is amazing because one, it shows us how much Jesus cares for us, right? But two, it shows us that, you know, again, we, we read the verse, you know, we see in the grand scheme of eternity, our problems are, are minuscule and again, not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. But the fact that the spirit, you know, groans with us and the fact that Jesus cried with Mary and Martha, it shows that our problems are real, right? It shows that our pain and our hurts are real, right? Jesus feels it and the spirit groans with us, right? When we're in that moment and we just feel overwhelmed, we don't know what's going on, right? We're in that moment where we don't know why our, our relationships aren't working or our marriage is failing or our kids or our family are sick. We don't know why we got fired, 
right? All, this, all these situations that just, you know, bear down on us, we just don't know. And it's in that moment that the Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us, prays on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit knows exactly what God is trying to do and so knows exactly how to pray in those moments. Think about that. All the time we spend in prayer, just throwing, you know, prayer requests out to God. We have the Holy Spirit praying for us on our behalf, already knowing God's plan. That's honestly just a hope that we can't get anywhere else. So that's the third hope. The last one, real quick, uh, that this passage gives us, number four, is that what God started, he's going to finish. All right, what God started, he is going to finish. In the last two verses in our passage, again, 29 and 30, 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. Paul brings up uh, predestined again, and it's, it's not to get into some big theological debate, uh, but it's to give you assurance, right? Assurance that you have been set apart uh, with a purpose for your lives, because he keeps going in verse 30, he says, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Right, which means that if you were set apart, that you can have the confidence that God is going to finish what he started in you by setting you apart. Right, and the good news is that when you're barely holding on, when life's just beating you down, Paul says, he, Paul says that you can rest assured that he is holding on to you. Right, because God didn't choose us because of our righteousness and our holiness. And if he didn't choose us and set us apart because of our righteousness and holiness, that he's not gonna just drop us because of our lack of righteousness or unholiness. Right, and, and if he didn't choose you because of those things, he's not gonna just hang you out to dry. He's not gonna leave you uh, to, to have the ending that we deserve. Again, when we talk about the whole world falling into sin, when we fall into sin, we are separated from God, doomed to an eternity away from him. Again, but because of this love that he has for us, this suffering is not meaningless. All the things that we go to, they're not purposeless. They may feel like it in the moment. Again, we may not be able to see the end result, the resolution, but they matter. Uh, John Piper, one of the uh, greatest Preaches of our t preachers of our time, and a sermon on this uh, exact uh, you know book in Romans. This passage, he wrote this. He said, "Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, right? But every second of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond." of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. Right? He says, I don't care if it was cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, it wasn't meaningless. He says, it's doing something. He keeps going. He says, of course, you know, you can't always see what it's doing. He says, don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your, when your child dies, when you got cancer at 40, when a car careens onto the sidewalk and takes out a loved one, he said, don't say this is meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. And therefore, do not lose heart. 
He specifically says, take the truths that we find here in Romans 8, all of the ones that you have heard in every message, and day by day, focus on them. He says, preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. That's pretty awesome stuff. And so I know today, you know, I know there's a bunch of different people in this room, a bunch of different people watching online in different, you know, stages of life and going through different things. And I know there's some of you today that are going through pain and are going through suffering. And it's tough. And a lot of the times, you know, you just want to kind of you know, wallow in the, in the suffering and you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear someone come to you and, and quote Romans 8.28. But what you do need to hear is that you just don't need to cast a verdict yet. Be patient. That's what this, this passage is over and over. Be patient. I know it's hard. I know it's, again, something you don't want to hear, but God is just calling us. Paul is, you know, employing us to be patient. And there's some of you that are also walking alongside someone uh, that's going through pain and going through suffering. And the suggestion for you is to, to not try and explain the unexplainable. Right, we're never going to, you know, in this current moment, we're not going to know exactly what, why things are happening. Again, there's an eternity where we get to have our Mr. Miyagi moment, or we get to have our moment of understanding. But right now, trying to explain why something so bad is happening to someone is just, it's just not the way. All we, can, all we can do is love on them and walk alongside them, be there when they need us. And then I know today there's also um, some unbelievers in the room, some people who are just asking questions and and looking into it. And I want you to hear something specifically, and it's that everything we've talked about, all these, these hopes, all these debunked myths, right, they're only true because one, Jesus is who he said he is, and two, because you've actually given yourself over to him. Right, without doing that, all of these promises mean nothing. And again, for some that may be hard to hear because you're not in that exact stage of, of your relationship with Christ that you haven't fully submitted and given yourself over to him, but that's the only way that all of these things happen and fall into place as God designed. How we understand who he says he is, we know that it's true that he, who he says he is, and that we've submitted our life to him. And just, you know, especially just being a pastor and, and seeing all the hurt and and hurting people that come through these doors and they're just in our community, I have to imagine that, you know, the hopelessness of our suffering apart from God, what we experience apart from God, just might be enough for some of you to want a relationship with him. And so I'd love to pray for that this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we just come to you this morning in... Um, and thanks, first of all, God, for all that you do for us. God, I know sometimes when we're just going through our day-to-day -day lives and just all the things that weigh us down and, and seem impossible to overcome, God, I just pray that we remember all that you've done for us. God, I pray that we remember that our present suffering is nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits us in eternity with you. And, and again, God, I know it's hard sometimes to, to fathom and and to make applicable in our everyday lives. But God, just help that be a constant you know, thought in our minds and prayer in our hearts. 
that we can look to you for peace and strength. God, that no matter what is going on in our lives, you are there for us, and it's not because of who we are, it's not because of what we've done, it's not because of who we've made ourselves, it's because of who you created us to be. Your sons and your daughters, God, and I just pray that we make that our identity. Again, not our circumstances, not the things we're going through, not our perceived successes or failures, God. Just help us turn to you for those answers. And God, again, if we're, we have people in our lives, we all have people in our lives that are going through things and going through pain and going through just feels like endless suffering. God, just help us to be a good example of you for them. You know, help us to be a, a light in their lives that they can turn to and see an example of God's love. That's not just throwing Bible verses at them, but actually living out your word, coming alongside them and being there when they need us. God, again, I know there's some people here this morning that are, are struggling and they haven't submitted themselves to you, and so it's making this uh, struggle a million times worse. It's making it so they can't handle it on their own. And if that is you this morning, you know, and you realize that an eternity with God can, you know, not erase your suffering, but make it meaningful. This morning, you can just pray, you know, to accept Jesus Christ into your hearts. You can pray that, you know, God, I realize you died on the cross for me. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me to take my place, to bear my sins. God, and even though it's not going to make my life any easier, it might actually make it a little bit harder. I recognize what you've done for us and how much your sacrifice, your son's sacrifice means in my life. So guys, pray for anyone who's taking next steps this morning that you just guide those and, and help them to remember all that you've done in every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.